Deuteronomy chapter 31 is our text. There are not many few pages left in the book of Deuteronomy. And so we are coming to the end of this book in just a handful of chapters. Deuteronomy chapter 31 is a transition in Moses' speech to the Israelites, his sermon really, because he has now just finished giving his appeal to the people to either choose life or to choose death in terms of becoming a covenant people or to not. And so now what Moses is about to do is give his final words. And he is not just concluding his message to the people. These are literally the last words that Moses is going to speak for the rest of his life. This isn't just a transition for the Israelites going into the promised land. This is a transition for the man Moses from the earth to glory. What else can this man of God have to say? What else is left after all that has been said? Chapter after chapter, line after line, command after command. What else is left in him or what else does God have to speak through him after all that we've covered throughout these months? Moses has things to say as a leader. As a leader, he has specific statements he wants to make to really bless the people, warn the people one final time. And again, this is not just for the Israelites, surely they are for us as well. Look at your chapter there in your Bibles in Deuteronomy 31. It's a lengthy chapter, but if you, if you look from verse 1 down to verse 13, carefully you will see a theme that, that might not be so dominant, but it is there. And the theme really can be summarized in one simple word, the word fear. Uh, you can see that in verse 7. You can see that in the verses following in verse 8, and then you can see it in Verse 12, fear. Fear keeps coming up. And the fear that Moses is speaking about, I believe there are three types of fear that he wants to discuss. The, the first two types of fear that Moses wants to touch on are the fears that both the Israelites and us today should reject. And the third fear that Moses touches on believe it or not, is a fear that he wants every person to have on a daily basis. So three aspects of fear. The first two, the people should totally shun. And the last one, they should embrace in their bosom. And it's important for us to understand what these fears are and see how they apply to us. And so look at verse 7 with me and see what he says here. Then Moses, excuse me, if we scroll back here, verse 6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Now remember, his audience, the Israelites. And he's telling them, be strong and courageous. And we're thinking, well, what is the motivation behind this? And we have to retract back to verse 2 and see what he says in verse 2. And he, being Moses, said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. 
So if we take verse 2 and we see verse 6, what do you think he's speaking about concerning fear in the people of Israel? What fear do you think he wants to touch on and try to, by his own motivation, by the Spirit of God, evaporate from their hearts? Could you guess? It's a fear that you and I might have. Uh, not having dependence on God, but not having a dependence on God, but rather on man. And that is a specific thing. But if we were to generalize it, the first fear that Moses wants to discuss at this point in Israel's history and their transition is the fear of transition. The fear of moving from one place to another place. The fear of the unknown. The fear of not being familiar with what is about to happen in my life. And that fear is very real, not just for the Israelites, but for people today. And the reason why this fear would be a very crippling one is because the one who's been leading them for 40 years is not going to go with them. Now, for you and I, that might not be so serious. But we weren't shepherded by a man like Moses for a generation. We weren't familiar with a leader who has done so much, a prayer warrior, a preacher, a teacher, an intercessor for all these years, and now... That's not going to happen. Transition is difficult, right? But transition from certain people is even more difficult. It's one thing to move from one season of life to another. But it's easier to do that when you do it with people that you've known and loved and prayed with your whole life. It's a completely different thing when you transition without certain individuals that you've held on to and they've held on to you. And that is exactly what these people were fearing and feeling. And in their case, Moses played a vital role in their relationship with God. Moses wasn't just this guy on the fringes. Moses was on his face before God for days in and days out, crying out to the Lord for the sake of the people not being totally brushed off from the face of the earth. He, he represented them. He sought God for them. He taught them. He led them. He was patient with them. And surely his life was an inspiration to them. And his shepherding would not go unnoticed for generations, right? Many today, maybe even you, can identify someone or some people in your life that have played a vital role in the stability and the strengthening of your spirituality even to this day. And to be separated from him, to be separated from her is almost unthinkable. Simply because of the value that their very presence makes in your life. It can be a father. It can be a mother. It can be a pastor. It could be a church. It could be a friend. And the cause of that separation can be for different reasons, right? It could be you leaving them. It could be them leaving you. The length of that separation might be different. It could be for a season. It could be a permanent long-distance relationship. And it can be a, something as final as death itself that would cause this sense of separation. And the thought alone can almost be crippling to think, how can I do life without him, her, them? Speaking, hearing, praying, serving, 
loving God together. Didn't the disciples feel that way? With the greater Moses? Remember what Jesus said? Remember what he commented to them? Right? In John 16, verse 5 and 6. He says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So the disciples felt what the Israelites were feeling in this moment. We've been following Jesus, living with Jesus, hearing from Jesus, witnessing what Jesus can do. And now all of a sudden he's talking about leaving us. And they were so overcome with grief and sorrow that they couldn't even ask further questions for him to clarify what he had said alone weighed them down. And they couldn't imagine all that we've experienced up to this point is now going to come to a sudden end. What was Moses' message for the Israelites? It was the same message that Jesus gave in a different sense. I am going. Moses says, I am going to die. I'm not coming with you. But know this, verse 6. God is going with you. God is going with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Sound familiar? Don't fear. Because God, and we have to understand this, because we are people who believe that God is sovereign, meaning He is in control of all things. God is not just sovereign over your job. God is not just sovereign over your health. God is not sovereign over your ministry. God is not sovereign over your sanctification and your growth and holiness. God is also sovereign in your relationships. That might be hard to understand, but we can actually believe that God is the one, if we walk rightly with Him, who controls to some degree who we are introduced to and who is removed and where we go and who we meet and who we don't meet for the sake of our protection. God is sovereign. And as much as people come and go, know this, that every person that you know that has been a blessing, that person has been an extension of God's love to you. You probably know this since you've been saved. You've met a lot of people. You've probably moved from place to place. And whoever God allows you to know, and they've been a blessing to your life, you can believe that God was behind that movement. Here's an example. You don't have to turn there, but I love this verse in 1 Kings 10. When the queen of Sheba comes, and it's in verse 9 specifically, the queen of Sheba comes to, to hear all the commotion about this man Solomon. Solomon, Solomon, Solomon. Everybody's talking about Solomon and his wisdom and what he knows and what he can offer people. And so she takes a trip down to see who this Solomon is all about. And literally after hearing from this man's mouth, the Bible tells us breath was taken out of her. She was literally, she was at loss for words. And then she's overcome with a revelation in this verse, which is quite astounding. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. She's speaking to Solomon. Because the Lord loved who? Israel. Forever he has made you king. Did she say because the Lord loved you, he made you king? Mm -mm. Because the Lord loved the people, he made you king. Israel experienced an aspect of God's love in placing Solomon as their leader. In placing Solomon as their king. He was an extension of his mercy and grace to the whole nation. 
and saying, this is how much I love you. I'm going to fill somebody with wisdom and I'm going to put them in your life so that they can lead you and guide you to a certain extent. And you can believe the same, that there are some relationships in your life and mine where God says, because I loved you here, because I care for you here. God is sovereign in our relationships. Now, that doesn't mean that if he removes those people, he changes his mind about his love for you. It just means he is in control of who comes and who goes. And that was certainly the case for the Israelites here. They were going to do life without Moses. Would they be able to survive? Moses assured them, you'll be able to survive because no matter who comes and goes, God is there. And here's the warning in this first fear. That in the fear of transition, especially from transition of people, from ministries, from churches, from cities, from neighborhoods, whatever it may be, from your family, here's the warning that Moses presents later on. That no matter how much a person might be a gift or a blessing to us, and our sanctification and our encouragement and our growth, we should never become overly dependent upon a person. Never. That's not how God designed this blessing called relationship. It's always supplemental. It is never the substance. How do we know that? Scroll down to verse 27 of chapter 31. Look what it says. Moses says this. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? See what he's saying? It's like, if you guys are struggling to this degree with me with you, how much more when I'm taken off the scene? And so this is a criticism to the fact that Moses did play a sanctifying role in their lives. But God had revealed to Moses the moment that he would leave, that in the future they would become rampant in their wickedness and sin. Many Christians live like how the Israelites lived in that sense. You may be one thing with your parents. You may be one thing in church with your pastors and your spiritual leaders. But the moment they are not on the scene, you talk different. You have different ways of living. You would not dare do those things or say those things in front of them. Listen, how much more with the knowledge that God is omnipresent? You're, you're afraid that if your pastor hears you or sees your inbox and your Facebook or your DMs on your Instagram, you're afraid that if he sees it or your spiritual leader that's discipling, if she sees it, that it would be a devastating thing. Jesus already read it all. He already knows the conversations you're having at school. He already knows. And see, the problem is, the reason why so many people are stunted in their growth is because they live with that kind of mentality. Only when they're there, then I'll be holy and I'll be serious and I'll talk the talk and I'll quote the scripture and I'll say, amen, God is good. The moment they're out, moment Moses is gone, I'm gung-ho for the world. You will never see growth in your life. I can guarantee you that. But when you live in the fear of God, with a conscious awareness of his presence 24-7, you will know a supernatural growth in your life and a stability and a strengthening. Do not become overly dependent and do not fear your pastor more than God. Do not fear spiritual leaders, your mother, your father more than God. They will come and go, but God will remain and God always sees and God is always there. So there's, a, there's an encouragement and a warning here for the Israelites. And it's a fear of transition that needed to be filtered through the understanding that God is with them even if Moses wasn't. Now, the fear aspect, we go to the second one. Look at your Bibles here. In verse 7, 
Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. So now he went from talking to the whole nation. Don't fear this transition. And he singles out one Israelite and says, Come here. And the young man approaches, and now he begins to encourage him specifically. Why? Was not what Moses said to the whole group enough for Joshua himself? What was it about Joshua specifically that he needed a funneled encouragement for his own heart? It's a very simple truth. What is it? Who's Joshua? What was he going to become? The leader. He was going to step in the shoes of Moses in this transition. And the fear here is not necessarily a fear of transition like the Israelites. It's another type of fear that every believer can feel, especially if you're serving God, and it's a fear of taking on a new mission, and taking on a new task, and taking on a new ministry in service to God. Now, you might not be there right now, and you're like, okay, this is great, but I don't relate. But if you're going to serve God long enough, He might lead you into something, and please remember these points. Joshua felt a fear Or surely it was something that was observable for Moses to point him out and to call him out and to encourage him. And Joshua had a fear specifically as a leader. Because in the realm of leadership, there are fears, layers of fears that are unique to that person. And this is worthy of discussion. In your mind right now, on any scale, especially, you're talking about Joshua. A leader at the highest point. What do you think a leader would feel in order to be encouraged in this way? He would need to be supported. So maybe the fear is what then? What's the opposite of that? Feeling alone? Feeling alone. Do you realize the position of a leader automatically places somebody to be alone? You're in a position of leadership. You're, You're already in a different category of service to God that is very, very limited in number because leaders are not the same number of those who are serving in different capacities. So a leader alone has already stepped into a reality that places them very much in isolation to a certain degree. Very true. Other fears that leaders would feel. Comparison. Joshua is not just stepping into a brand new role. Joshua is stepping into big shoes, is he not? He's going to fill the shoes of Moses, of all people. That is the person that he is replacing. That is not some small task. Absolutely. Any other types of fears? Failure. Failure. And I would put that in the same category. Fear of failure. I mean, here I am. I'm going to step into this role. Am I going to be able to succeed? And those are really the two I want to touch on. You guys touch on it. Number one, the fear of failure. And listen, this is not just for leaders. It's for anybody who serves God. It's a, it's a fear of messing up. Again, he's going to step into some big shoes, and this is not a small group of people. What do you think is running through his mind as he has seen Moses' ministry throughout these years? The ups and the downs. Oh, are they going to be rebellious with me too the moment we cross this land? How am I going to organize them in this whole land that I've never seen before? How am I going to divide them? What if they fight? Am I going to be overcome with unbelief? Am I going to be overcome by their rebellion as well? Am I going to be convinced of their kind of behavior and their thought process? Who knows what was swirling in the man's mind? But there's encouragement that he should not fear failure. And Moses' initial encouragement wasn't here. If you were here in the beginning, 
You know, Moses spoke about this in the first chapter. It's nice to go back and check it out. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 1 in your Bibles. Look at verse 38. He's speaking to the people of Israel, and notice what he mentions to them, not to, not to Joshua. He spoke to Joshua here in chapter 31. He's speaking to the nation. He says, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him. Israelites, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. You know, when I read that in the first chapter, and I realized that he called the people to encourage Joshua, I thought to myself, what was going on through Moses' mind for him to command that? You know what I believe? Because he didn't experience it himself. That throughout Moses' life, have you ever seen, if so, maybe you can find it somewhere, tucked in, but what do we know the Israelites for under Moses' ministry? Complaining and murmuring and all these ugly things that literally broke the man, saying, I would rather die than continue in this position. Imagine driving a spiritual leader to near death because of a lack of encouragement. And people tend to forget that leaders are human. We almost look at a person who might have a charismatic gift or a leading gift or a teaching gift, and we almost think that they are invincible that they don't have emotions, that they don't have families, that they don't have struggles, that they are literally on the front lines with the devil gnawing at them at times. And Moses perhaps said this in a very wise way because he himself knew the absence of encouragement himself. And so he looks at the people and says, you better understand something as Joshua takes this leadership position. You encourage him. He is for you. He's not against you. He's serving you. He's leading you. He's not better than you, but he has a position that requires a greater weight and burden. So encourage him. Here's a pop quiz. Did they obey it? Who says no? They didn't obey it. Oh, we're going ha to have to go through this again, right? Everybody's afraid. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be right. Don't worry. Who says no? Who says they did obey? So if you were there in Deuteronomy 1, you remember. And the answer is in Joshua chapter 1. And look at verse 18. We're familiar with Joshua chapter 1 with who? The Lord saying, be strong and courageous, right? Be strong and courageous. Now look at what the people said to Joshua. They said this, the people, whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Oh, they listened to Moses. They took it to heart. Here's Joshua having to be encouraged by the Lord again when Moses died, and the people took it to heart to say, Joshua, we're behind you, brother. Be strong and courageous. We are for you. We are fighting with you. We believe what God has placed on your heart and how you're going to lead is going to be faithful and effective. Be strong and courageous. I've said this many times before, but I'll say it again, that encouragement is the wind to the sail of somebody's faith. There's something so refreshing, and all of you can testify, I'm sure, to what it's like to get a text message alone from somebody and to know how much of a blessing and how much it infuses strength and hope in you. It just changes your whole demeanor even. It's so powerful, and it is a spiritual thing, and Moses is not afraid to encourage him because surely he was going to feel some kind of failure ahead. But we touch on another fear. It was a fear of loneliness. 
though it's not deliberately there, it's not obvious there, the fact that he's saying he will be with you in verse 8, it is the Lord who goes before you, he will be with you, he will not leave you or forsake you, do not fear or be dismayed. Understand that when it comes to serving God, not just in a leadership position, when you serve God on any capacity, especially when you intensely and fervently and seriously serve God, do not be surprised that it affects your relationships with others. Think about Joshua's life for a moment. Think back at his life. The snippets of what the Bible records about the man. And think about how his devotion to God affected him relationally with other humans. I think it's worth looking at our Bibles to see it. So let's go back to what we studied in Exodus. Go to Exodus. And go to chapter 32. Chapter 32 is the infamous golden calf scene where the entire nation was found in compromise. Where was Moses at the time? Where was Moses? On the mountain, meeting with God, hearing from God, preparing the people into transition. And while the man of God is spending time with God, the people of God are impatient. And again, because of the absence of Moses, they are now dancing naked around a golden statue. It's this repetitive behavior. If my spiritual leader isn't here, then I'm just going to live how I want. It's a terrible way to live your holy life. So we know where the Israelites were. We know where Moses was. Here's the question. Where was Joshua? Was he with the people of Israel or was he somewhere else? He was waiting for Moses. Look at verse 17 in your chapter there. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Listen, Joshua was so far, he couldn't even make a distinction of what the noise was. He's like, I think there's war going on, Moses. Because Moses has come down, and who does he bump into? He doesn't bump into Aaron. He doesn't bump into Miriam. He bumps into Joshua. Do you know why? You don't have to turn there, but go to Exodus 24, verse 13. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Mo Moses went up to the mountain of God. Do you realize that Joshua has been waiting from Exodus 24 to Exodus 32 for, for his leader? I, I think of it this way. This is not scripture, so don't think this is how it happened. But I, I like to think of it this way. That here is Joshua waiting this whole time for Moses. And, and you, got, you got Israelites coming and, and perhaps maybe even passing by or maybe seeing him on some cleft or something. Saying, Joshua, what are you doing here? Do you realize what the party is going on? You, don't you want to join us? No, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Moses. I'm waiting for what God has to say to us. Come on, Joshua. Aaron is in on this, man. Don't be so holy, so stiff. Don't be so legalistic, man. We're out of Egypt. Come on. He's not going to put us back into Egypt. We're, we crossed the Red Sea, man. You're redeemed. Come on. No, I'm going to wait for Moses. Why? Because when I said yes to God, I really meant it. That's why. And so here you see Joshua separated from the rest of the people in his desire to serve God, surely and to be devoted. Then you go to the next chapter. Moses now, after confronting them, 
And Moses now seeking God because God, it says, you can go, but my presence isn't going with you. And so he is now pleading on behalf of God in something called the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting is not the tabernacle. The tabernacle had not been constructed yet. The tent of meeting in Exodus 33 was a separate structure in which anybody can go and seek God. Anybody had access to the tent of meeting to seek the Lord. And you find Moses there continually. The rest of the people are in their own tents. They're camping out. They're separated from God because of their sin. But it's amazing how the chapter says clearly, anybody who would seek the Lord would go to the tent of meeting. And you see Moses there. And Moses would go and he would go back into the camp to deal with his own issues as a leader and to be responsible. But I love what it says in verse 11. Look at verse 11, Exodus 33, and see what it says there. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What an amazing verse. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Where's everybody else? They're back in their camp. They're back in their own respective tents. But here's Joshua as a young man that wants to stay near the presence of God. That's not to say that you can't socialize and have friends, but it does say something about the man who wanted something of a nearness of God. And you know what it costs you? To be separated from people who don't want that. And then you see this in a very intense fashion manifest. And you know this story in Numbers chapter 14 where 12 spies are sent into the promised land to give word about the land. And as the 12 come back, how many gave a bad report? Out of the 12. One more less. 10. Yeah, Joshua. And who's the other guy? Caleb. And it says clearly that they stood in faith to say, we can do it. And you think about Joshua standing firm in the Lord all this time because he wanted to really honor God and God would honor him by placing him in that position to replace Moses. And you think about the cost of this, that when Joshua stood for the Lord, I want you to think about the 40-year wilderness journey because there were millions of people that died throughout those 40 years. Think about the amount of funerals. Think about the friends that he had to stand and bury himself. Think about his relatives that he had to conduct their funeral for. Think about all until him and Caleb alone stood in their generation. You'd be amazed to know that there are people that would rather die with compromising individuals than live alone for God. Joshua was willing to live for God even if it affected him relationally. And because of that, he might have had a fear of being alone. And Moses wants to encourage him. Listen, if everybody abandons you and God is with you, you are better than if everybody is with you and God abandons you. You stand firm. And though this task and your service to God might cost you something because of your stance to live for him, you will know something of the nearness of God that nobody else will even conjure up in their minds. Look at the men of God in the scriptures and see that that is a 
very familiar price they had to pay. You think about Paul himself in the new covenant. And he says there in his last letter in 2 Timothy that everybody abandoned him, but the Lord was with him and strengthened him. There's a price to consecration, but there's a greater price to compromise. There's a price for consecration, but there's a greater price for compromise. I'll tell you this, Joshua's life looks pretty good in comparison to those funerals throughout the wilderness. The fear of failure. There's one more fear that we haven't touched on, and it's a fear that Moses now promotes. Those ones, fear of transition, God is with you. Fear of taking on a new task to serve the Lord, God is with you. And here's another fear that Moses wants to mention. Look at verse 10 of Deuteronomy 31. And Moses commanded them at the end of every, he's now speaking to the Israelites again. At the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, so what do we understand? Every seven years, at one specific feast, the Feast of Booths, 